Whatever crap. I'm making fun of me because I, I love wheat. 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 Wheat with a T. Oh, T. Wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Wheat with a T. <laughs> Definitely. He's a fairly formal goat, but he likes to party. Did you guys know that uh, Pepe Le Pew has been banned from like Looney Tunes because it's offensive to the French, I guess? Cheers. This is a New England. It's supposed to look like orange juice. <laughs> so the podcast just started. It's safe to say we're off the rails, boys. I don't. We're sitting here during the intro. Everybody's kind of talking through it. Usually we're quiet. We're ready to roll. We're we're already off the rails. So this should be a pretty good podcast. Uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Uh, Sonder Stories, Chapter Twenty Nine. Danny. Sure. Yeah, correct. Nailed it. Nailed it. And that's a rarity. Uh, usually I'm asking you for the chapter before I we I think I've it. only been wrong once. <laughs> oh, you! I can't wait. I can't wait for that to I'm, not I'm, be I'm going to get 30 wrong for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, welcome. Thanks for joining. Uh, Saunders Stories, chapter 29. We're going to talk today about one of our newest beers, a beer that we tapped recently. Um, I don't, I'm not sure when this will be released, so sometime within the last two weeks this beer has been tapped. And it's, uh, it's one of our latest, uh, to steal a term from Luke Shropshire, it's one of our latest crispy boys. Hell yeah, it is. So uh, it's a Trademark l- pending. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're going to get that one. Yeah, I don't, I, we're definitely not winning that one. Just spell it weird. Just spell it like with a Z. Ooh. K's. Like, yeah, like Rice Krispie <laughs> Treats. K-R-I-Z. P-I-E. Crispy. Make it just one word. <laughs> well, it's a lager. Let's just say that, right? It's, uh, it's our Munich Helles lager. And uh, it's been a while since we've had a light lager like this on the board. It's been a few weeks, maybe even a few months. And, uh, would Rally Cat be the last one? Uh, we had Quacky for a while. Yeah, Zob- Quack- Quacky would be. What was the last one on? Zauber? I think Quacky was the last one. Zauber, okay. Zauber left before Quacky. Yeah. So uh, this is our latest one. And uh, the timing is perfect because uh, we needed it. And uh, and it's fantastic. It's it's a great beer. You guys have done a great job as always with with uh, this one. And uh, it's only been on tap for a few days, and it's already flying. And the cool thing, we decided to do something that we've never done, and we offered it in cans in the tap room only, six pack, sixteen ounces. Sure. And They're Texas tall boys, right? Te- that's right. Texas that's right. tall. Tex- Texas six packs. Don't worry, those those uh, those stovepipes are coming soon, though. <laughs> <laughs> we do have the ability. If we do six packs, we will stove do stovepipes. <laughs> game over. Yeah. I mean, just, we should just call that beer game over. Whatever we do that with. But let's dive in on this beer. Let's talk about it a little bit. By the way, I've got uh, PNP, Chase Legler, Jeff Parker, Luke Shropshire, and everyone's newest favorite. Saunders Stories member Ben Ramsey. So let's talk a little bit about this beer from a technical standpoint. What is a Munich Ellis? What makes, what makes this beer different than our other lagers that we've done? So uh, Munich Ellis, well, let me make sure I'm saying this correctly, but Munich Ellis, which was said earlier in the, well, in the past um, podcast, was created by Spaten Brewery. Um, and it was basically uh, made... For those that don't know what he's referring to, we actually talked about that in, in Ben Ramsey's story, which was released last week. Um, and so basically it was... Um, 
It was created to kind of um, to compete with uh, check bills. That was kind of taken over. I believe I'm saying correctly. Let me make sure here. Do we? Do, so, so how would you define the difference between them, or or are they similar? We can cut. This yeah. Out. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was making sure. Okay. If you need to do more research, it's all right. No, no I thought I thought I was right, but I want to make sure I'm saying it right because sometimes I say the wrong things. So Municellus was created to um, combat with the pale pilsners. So with this, it has more of a golden hue. Um, so when you're looking like, yeah. So when you're looking at more of a traditional, you know, pale pilsner, uh, it's going to be you know, obviously a little bit more pale. So think of like a Bud Light. That's not saying that is the same style, but color-wise, when you look at this, especially in this beautiful Stein, it is very dark gold. Uh, character color towards it um, but also instead of it being just kind of like a lighter style it's got more of a malt character more of a malt back um, but on top of that to make sure that it is well rounded you want to make sure you're having that balance with the hops and um, I think with the Hella style it's kind of a little bit more difficult because you want to make sure you're getting that multi characteristic that kind of goes all the way through front to back the palate but then you also need to make sure that you're having that hop character and just the right amount of bitterness that cuts through it, so there's almost like a, a nice even balance. But then towards the very end, it kind of goes back to that multi side. So you're having like both the best of both worlds, where it's multi, then a little bit hoppy, where you're getting like the cut, and then it kind of finishes off a little bit more of the malt. But then you're taking from the additional acid from the hops that cuts it really quickly, so that it dries out real fast. So then it's not lingering multi sweet. Yeah, I. Um Thanks for that history background. I, I wanted to get more into that. Anytime, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, our director of sales, Chad Blount, said it perfectly when he and I tried it uh, within a few minutes of each other off the can line, out of the can. I actually, I intentionally, this was one of them I intentionally waited to not try in the tank. I wanted to wait till it hit package. And uh, I usually don't do that. I, I like to try it throughout the process. But this one in particular, I, I wanted to wait on for a lot of different reasons. But I waited until it hit the can. And I, th- I feel like Chad described the taste profile pretty perfectly. And he said that the bitterness is there and it hits you and then it, and then it fades off really quickly. It's, not, it's certainly not IPA, bitter, lingering, or anything like that. I, I guess what I would be curious to know is... Other styles historically, let's you know, not so much domestically, but historically, a Munich Hellas um, is that in on par with that? Is that is that what it's historically known for? Is it is it traditionally meant to be? You know, I think of a beer like Zauber for us mm-hmm. that uh, will actually come back um, this year in a in a in a familiar brand. Uh, we'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit uh, in a few months, but. Um, that's a beer for us that did really well, and it was a it was a very well made lager. It's less bitter, um, so so is that the 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 largest to the consumer that comes in that loved Zauber that's now going to drink uh, Operation Steam. We'll get into the name. The is is that going to be the biggest difference for that consumer is the bitterness. I I don't I don't really think there is a bitterness to it. I mean there is, but to go back to what I was saying originally. And, and then Chase will definitely uh, chime in. Um, but uh, how I view it is it, it's really the balance of the maltiness, but then having that backbone of the hops. So with this beer, it was a little bit more later additions to kind of soften the alpha acid, um, you know, isomerization of the hops. So we were getting more of a softer bitterness. Um, so 
when you try this beer, you're not really getting a bitterness. You might perceive it as a little bit bitter, but at the end of the day, when you really kind of think at it, think about it, when you swallow and finish the beer, it dries out because that's how, with the attenuation of the yeast, our lagering and the way of our fermentation schedule, but then also in the same sense with the with the hopping that we're doing and the combination of the malts that we use on top of our decoction, you know, it's it's rounding it to the point where it it, it it's done. Versus when you're thinking bitterness, it lingers. There is no lingering. Definitely, there is no lingering bitterness. It's, it's just done. It hits clean. you up front, and then it's gone. Yeah. That's- yeah, I think it's uh, a little bit more malt forward. So this was a decoction brewed, and it doesn't have a whole lot of hops into it. It, it is actually, it's definitely our first lager with a single hop addition, uh, as far as uh, the hop selection was uh, Hallertau, Middlefru. Yeah. Um, solo in this guy, um, but I think with this guy having the decoction to it, it does finish a little bit higher as far as sugar concentration goes. So it has a tiny bit more body than like what uh, Zauber has uh, or especially Rally Cap has. Um, but it, it just kind of it to me it, it leans in more with the with the malt backbone to it, and then the the hops and the um, there is a dryness to it, which I maybe is maybe some of that bitterness profile. I think that's fair. I, it definitely uh, has more of a drier profile. Yeah, but I, I think, think that's fair. I think that kind of aids into the the cleaning out of the palate at the end versus it being any kind of cloningly sweet at all. Um, so I think that's kind of the the difference in my head as far as this versus Rally Cap or Zob or more of the uh, classic you know Pilsner styles. Yeah, I, I guess I'll speak more in, in less technical and more layman's terms uh, because you guys definitely have that nailed and, and I, can't, I can't do it as eloquently as y'all. But uh, for me, there's a, there's a body there. There's a, a, a bigger beer than what you would get from what Rally Cap was and what Zauber was and certainly Quacky, right? Uh, there's a bigger body there. But oftentimes when you get that bigger body, you think more sweetness. You think almost like a Vienna lager sweetness. Um, and, and with this beer, that is, that is not there. Uh, it definitely cleans out. It, it is more dry, which, which helps aid in that not getting a sweetness, which ultimately leads to more crushable, right? A six-pack, 16-ounce, right? If you have 16-ounce six-pack, uh, you want that to be a beer that you could potentially drink it. And... That's what this is. And uh, I guess ultimately, uh, whether, that's, whether that's in the form of dryness or bitterness or whatever that is, to the consumer, it's just more crushable. And uh, you guys have, have nailed that and, and done a great job with it. Um, I'm curious to get, so Ben, Jeff, uh, from y'all's perspective on the production floor, is this a style you guys were familiar with brewing? Had you brewed this in the past? Um, and, and how does it compare to others that you've brewed before? Yeah, coming from uh, March first, I mean, they were kind of uh, they were kind of uh, you know lager focused anyway. I've brewed a few uh, there, well, quite a few actually, um, and then I've done a few lagers before. Uh, this one, to me though, is probably since I've been brewing the best rep- you know representation of this style, and it's definitely like you said, a crushable uh, crushable beer. Uh, you know, it's a lawnmower beer. Right, that's right. And and it's 16 ounce, so you less trips to the fridge, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, 
you know, the 12 ounce. Yeah, absolutely. 12 ounces, you got to plan your attack, and sometimes you got to put a beer on each post. Damn you know, <laughs> so 16 ounces, yeah. Less you know. trips to the fridge. If that doesn't hit some yeah. sort of marketing, then we've well, done yeah, it. Yeah, for I, sure. I, I literally posted about this beer about an hour ago. If I had done it afterwards, <laughs> I would have incorporated that a thousand yeah, You, you got to think about this stuff. See, I got, I, I live on, like, I've got about an acre. So, like, <laughs> if I get to the, if I get to the end, if and you're I'm taking like, your high, your, your high power pellet gun out. Yeah, of an you acre, never know. Yeah. So. Imagine, imagine if they were stovepipes. <laughs> Stovepipes for sure. No, no. Tri- no trips to the fridge. Stovepipe Shropshire. That's going to be your new nickname. <laughs> it, it definitely, as far as the style goes and the taste, and I, I know what you're saying uh, as far as that perceived bitterness, like we were talking about before. I don't get it, but you know that's. I, I, I think I think Chase might have nailed it. I think it dries out enough at the end that that, that yeah. leaves you with a perceived it, a bitterness. clean palate. Yeah. And, you know, as far as like, like we were saying, you know, getting out of comparing it to big name beers, because it's definitely not, a, it's not a Bud Light. It's not a Miller right. Light. Uh, I mean, if you had to compare it to anything, I mean, it's got more body than those two, uh, more flavor. Um, and then it still finishes the same. I mean, it finishes clean. There's no off flavors. There's nothing lingering. There's no maltiness lingering. There's no hops lingering. Uh, it just finishes super, super clean. Yeah, I think uh, part of that that finish of the beer is actually contributed to the decoction method as well. Because when you are taking a portion that uh, a portion, a portion, a portion, <laughs> portion, <laughs> a portion <laughs> per per, per <laughs> in that, that. Anyways, rubs. So when you take a portion of that mash out and you bring it to a boil, you're you're breaking down a lot of protein structures and you're you're exposing a lot of those tannic structures to the beer itself and that kind of gives you more of that tannic uh, finish to the beer itself that kind of aids in, in that bitterness. And if you if you take too much of the mash over into the decoction, it, it will be an astringent beer, and I think that's maybe a little bit of that structure that you're getting at the end of that beer. I, but it's not overly astringent to no. me. It's no. not even a little bit. And for those that – for those, I, I just want to say this real quick. I know you have something to say too, Luke. For those that, that are unfamiliar or not sure about the decoction method – uh, we've talked about that uh, a few times in the past. We talked about it, I believe, uh, in some of our earlier podcasts with our German-style beers. I believe we talked about it with the Hefeweizen with 92 Days yeah. uh, and maybe even with uh, William Goat uh, yeah. with the box. So for those that don't know, definitely go back and listen to it. We explained that in, in pretty strong detail. Yeah, I think Oktoberfest was the most yeah. in-depth. Yep. That, that was our first decoction yep. brew that we did, I believe. What okay. would this beer be like yeah. if it didn't get go through decoction? That's a great question. Um, it would be a little bit, uh, it'd have a little bit less color. Um, Mm -hmm. it'd be a little bit lighter in color and I don't think you'd get some of the complexities that are there as far as that, that tannic structure that we're getting and more of the malt forwardness to it and just a touch more body because we're, we're kind of caramelizing some of those sugars and setting them in place. So in a dextrin form, so they can't be broken down by our house yeast that we're using. The color came out great. It's it's a really good like bright like gold mm-hmm. like almost like brownish color that I really like. Yeah, I wouldn't say brown, but I was golden like a golden straw. Hey, yeah. good job. Yeah. Hey guys, remember the time when Danny used to work here before he offended Chase? <laughs> Should I put my two weeks in? Yeah. <laughs> it's a golden hey, straw hue. I'll edit this podcast. <laughs> We, we don't say brown. Yeah. Brown's not a word we use right here. Noted. 
Jeff, what about you? What's what's uh, what what was your past with this past experience with the style versus um, now? So before I came to Sonder, I um, pretty much wouldn't touch a logger. I, I hadn't had uh, much experience with them, and the ones I did weren't really in my wheelhouse. And uh, I don't think there's enough being done properly, kind of on the market. So. So when I came here, you know, I was lucky enough to, you know, get that first off Bohemian Pilsner, which was just money. And then, so it was kind of a crash course for me coming in. So Paradune never tackled anything like that. Homebrew never. We had a Blondale that was, that took care of the masses that we needed to sure. for our Fair, which was really good. The Bell Center Blonde it was lovely. Oh, um, yes. But since I've been here, you know, I've definitely developed a love for the lager and, uh, yeah. I hear I hear PNP is down that rabbit hole as well. Yeah, I've been converted. <laughs> he he texted me a few weeks ago and he's like, "Dude, I just left Red Bank Wine and Spirits and walked out with like a hundred dollars worth of loggers." <laughs> it, it was it was three separate six packs of loggers. I was like, "Year ago, Danny would not be happy with current Danny." <laughs> well, I I think um, this is this is fantastic. Um, it's something that it. it it completely, in a really weird way, it rounds out some of the light loggers we've done in a style that we hadn't done yet. Um, it, it rounds that out, uh, and it's it's something I I really enjoy. I love that uh, P and P's post on this when we were teasing it before we released it was uh, Jeff pouring it into a liter mug because it's so fitting for this beer. It's it's a beer you just want to put in a liter mug and and crush it uh, probably quicker than you should. Um, one thing I want to go back to on the history of it, uh, so it's a Munich Hellas. Uh, do we know, or, or can you guys speak to maybe a little bit, was it originally brewed just in Munich? Or yeah. Okay. So that is, so that's... Southern Germany. Okay. So when, I, when I was in Germany, the breweries that only had a light, dark, and wheat option, I felt like this was very representative. Representative. Well, every, every uh, place in Germany just has a dark wheat and mm-hmm. pale. That's it. Well, right. <laughs> um, I feel like this was very representative of like the light option that they had. So their light option was a, a Hellas. Yeah, yeah. It was a multi logger. Yeah, yeah you go okay. for the. Oh, I was just gonna. I was gonna say. Uh, uh, yeah, with the middle two, the Hallertau uh, uh, middle fruit hops are all all grown in the Hallertau region, which is uh, northern. Northern section of Munich yeah, or, or Germany, actually. Uh, a little bit south towards Bamberg. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. But or Bamberg. Bamberg. But uh, one, one thing I do want to say <laughs> is this is actually Luke's uh, first lager written recipe that he wrote up, and uh, uh, we went with it. So it's a shout out to Luke of creating a great. Great recipe and a great beer. Yeah, great job. We've all been calling it Luke's Lager in the back. Luke's Lager. Luke's Lager. Hey, listen. For fear that that Luke won't fit down the stairs uh, with his head here, uh, I'll curtail this a little bit. First of all, A, uh, it is a great recipe. Great job, Luke. Um, But just like everything we do here, it's it's a great team effort from the beginning. Yeah, but what what I want to throw in is, I mean, yeah, it – that you tried, and you know, it was very nice when I said that. But this was a very experimental lager to go with. Um, when when I had pushed for Munich Hellas multiple times, it took a while to get this beer on the on the books. And when we did it, I think I changed the recipe five times, and then we we went higher on salt additions than we've ever done before on a lager. We changed. So up. so let's so b- stop there. So so let's talk a little technical. Yeah. What does that do for the beer? 
Um, so the way the, the way that we were shooting for was so historically, Munichalis is just Pilsner malt, and that's it. That's cool and all, but we're not homebrewers going for BJCP medals anymore. Like we're trying to make a quaffable beer that's going to do really well. Um, I, li- I just got to say, I like that last statement a lot. <laughs> I just got to pick a bone quick with, I, I just disagree with breweries. Uh, every beer that we have sent and will send to to these, um, these professional judges, I should say, uh, will be what our consumers are tasting. And I just want to leave it at that. Yeah. I, I think that's well said. Yep. Um, so... Uh, basically with it, it just comes down, you know, you have your, um, uh, sodium carbonate and your calcium chloride that you're adding to, um, the water and your, you know, calcium chloride is going to give you more of that, the body. And, um, we looked back at some of the recipes that Chase had written and lore actually was the recipe that I took the info info from. And lore is probably one of the beers that had the highest amount of salt additions. And I always told Chase, I was like, I really liked how soft lore was. It's, it's soft. It has a body. There's no oats or anything in that. In this beer, I want to kind of imitate that. And so we looked at all the other lagers we did, and this was, I don't know, probably 50 to 60 parts per billion higher uh, on our salt level. So that was, that was one. Um, two, Chase and I have come accustomed to a new lager strain. So Chase has his house lager strain that he loves, and then I introduced a new lager strain that I had just tried from other beers, and Chase and I tried it out, and we both highly enjoyed it as well. Um, and so it was fun to bring that one in, secondly. Um, then third, uh, we changed up our lager fermentation schedule, um, which, was, which was big. Um, uh, I know he wasn't, Chase wasn't nervous, but he did have you know, some red flags being like, well, you know, if we, if we do it this route, there is a potential that it might not go through diacetyl rest because the yeast might be kind of coming toward the end of its fermentation like process and he trusted me and he was like well we'll do it and we'll see what happens and it, and it worked um so there was there were some things that he let me do that you know to be honest with you for a guy like him to allow coming from such a strict background and kind of switching things up from his logger experience which is really cool um and then on top of that there's some things that we've realized with some of our loggers and in our loggering process. And um, so basically, you know, and this is something that I'm taking upon myself with all of our loggers going forward, but keeping the beer off the yeast as much as possible and trying to keep that pH level as low as possible. And um, this was probably one of the lowest pH levels we've reached in a logger, I believe. One of, not if, not the lowest, but one of them. And with, with that, we, you know, what you're looking for is you're not going to kind of get that flabbiness that you see in a regular lager. Your head retention is going to be a little bit nicer. You're going to kind of have that lacing. So there's a lot going on with it. So exp- explain that. So you, you hear that. Um, a, lot of our, a lot of our listeners and consumers have probably heard that. For those that, that are either reviewing or reading reviews or, or listening, they might hear, oh, this, this beer is flabby. So, so explain that. What do you mean when you say that? So I'll say in, in my thoughts, and then Chase will, um, then Chase will say the exact way how it should be. <laughs> um, to me, it's more just like when it goes through autolysis, it's releasing protease, um, you know, acids or whatnot, and enzymes. Enzymes, thank you. And so with that, it's eating away at you know obviously your proteins, which is going to give your um, head retention. 
um, with that, it's kind of giving out fatty acids as well, and therefore it kind of brings the beer that's light and crisp down with a heavy weight that kind of dulls the senses on your on your you know taste buds. Um, so giving a five week, six week lager, which is supposed to really crispen up the beer with that autolysis, you know, then you're you're taking it back as if you're just doing a regular ale that just sat there for four weeks, and then it's just like okay, you know. And then on top of the lack of head retention and lacing in the glass, it just looks sloppy in my eyes. Chase? Yeah, I mean, you were, you were spot on with the, the proteases enzyme that breaks down. Uh, uh, I, said, I said protease. You, it's protease. You were just, <laughs> I was embarrassed. <laughs> Bamberg. I, oh, God. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Weizenbach. Protease. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest. I haven't, I got to study more lately. I haven't, been too busy to go back to my books but um yeah with uh, it's basically an excretion of enzymes once the yeast cell is is uh, uh dead it, it loses its uh its structure uh, releases these enzymes that then can break down uh, lower molecular proteins that give you your foam uh, stability which is like uh, polypeptides and peptones um but then that also starts to increase your your ph as well and when you increase your ph um, the stability of your beer and, uh, and shelf life uh, is deteriorated quite a bit. So, um, you know, yeast in general is 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 pretty resilient, um, but it will start to to essentially fester in the tank itself. So it's important to to get that yeast off. Um, five minutes for me is is a thin beer. Um, usually, in my opinion, five minutes is caused by over pitching. So in lagers, you want to be um, you know, pitching, you know, essentially 1.25, 1.5 million cells per degree Play-Doh with a lager. Um, but if you overpitch it and you don't have actual yeast growth um, and actual diacetyl reduction, because diacetyl is a negative thing, we talked about that, um, but if you actually uh, take out all the diacetyl, you actually do create a thinner beer. So you actually want um, a level of diacetyl that's undetectable by humans, um, but also still in the product itself. Um, it's so crazy when you when you hear that because you know, for in the American beer scene, it's like diacetyl is is the devil, kind of like oxygen. But you know, when you go to Germany and you try some of their lagers, yeah. they are riddled with you know butter flavors. You're like, whoa! Well, the English too. English, uh, are, they, I mean, the English ones are they? I can't stand a lot of English beers because it's just it's just overdone and they it's it's a it's a custom to there they they don't see it as a defect it's just like i i guess if i had my if i had to choose like an analogy it, it's like a weed well what's a weed a weed is what you don't want in the beer so if you're growing you know if you're growing corn you don't want wheat in there well if you're, you know it's just it's kind of a dependent uh uh um, choice of of the brewer and the grower, I guess, of what a weed is, and and to myself, diacetyl is a weed where we don't want it. Um, I don't think we'll ever produce a beer that we want a little bit of diacetyl too. I, I mean, I mean, Luke always, Luke, Luke's been wanting to use this this English yeast strain, which I've used <laughs> quite a bit, and I I absolutely no no not that one not that one but but in, not Ringwood no. oh not Ringwood no no oh but an English ale strain okay which, but the, the fear is of diacetyl yes. yeah and I just I can't stand I'm very sensitive to diacetyl I have a very low threshold to it can't stand it don't want it don't like it it's it's also confusing too because you know diacetyl can be produced by Pediococcus which is a bacteria that uh, can also grow in tap wine so you know if a brewer wants it there 
okay, I guess I can see something into that, but to have control over it when it goes out to the market with poor tap lines, I'd have gotten better, but still can happen as far as that, that process. I just, I don't think it should be in the beers. What's your opinion on some of these darker beers where, you know, in terms of the style, they suggest, you know, a little bit of a higher diacetyl threshold, like, you know, a big stout or something like that to give it a little bit more complexity and body or whatnot. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were to do an actual, which we're, we're working on, we, we actually have a, I think I brought this up in the, a, a past podcast, um, but we do have a, uh, a, spectro, a spectrophotometer, um, which basically right now can just measure color, which full transparency, we don't really look at color that much. <laughs> um, but what that, what that system can do is it can actually detect uh, vicinal diketones, which in that group is diacetyl along with 2,3-pentadione. Uh, um, uh, but anyways, with, with this system, we can actually do a, a laboratory test that gives us a number that then we can see what essentially our diacetyl level is at. Um, currently, we don't have that. Um, so we're, we're, we're just relying on our, on our taste buds right now. We're doing a, uh, a, a quick heat up test and tasting it. Um, one good thing I, I do know that I'm good at is tasting diacetyl, um, not along with other products or off flavors, but diacetyl I, I'm pretty good at. So basically we're just relying on our taste buds to get our beer down to a proper diacetyl level uh, to then continue the beer forward in its process. Um, but diacetyl is a natural byproduct of fermentation. So darker beers having that diacetyl there aids to the body of it. Um, just like with lagers, if you, if, you, if you extract all the diacetyl, like a lot of breweries are using right now, we're not, but there's enzymes that you can add that will take the alpha-acetyl-lactic you know, uh, precursor and, and, and subtract that out. That's fine. I don't really have a problem with it if you're having diacetyl issues, especially with yeast strains, but it does alter the finish in the body of the beer. And you're also technically adding another genetically modified enzyme that, you know, you don't really need. That was a rabbit hole. Boom. <laughs> Boom. That's some info for you. I, right I love it. Uh, I actually had to step away for about 10 seconds there. So uh, by 10 seconds, I mean about a minute. Uh, so if this was discussed, I apologize, but for, for those that are unaware, and again, like you said, Chase, we've talked about this in past podcasts, but for those that don't know, to explain it in a flavor, diacetyl would be a buttered popcorn. Yeah, it's actually a product that's, that's, uh, that's extracted and used uh, for movie popcorn flavoring, so it's like that buttery scotch type of flavor. And it's, it's a, a flavor, honestly, that uh, I, I think... For a while, it's certainly not the case as much anymore. Uh, for a while, it was it was pretty rampant, and so I think a lot of people became just uh, yeah. I, I remember comfortable with it. This is a side note. You can edit this out, Danny, if you want to. But <laughs> I remember using my fake ID to get into all the college bars around Madison. <laughs> and this is staying. Yes, that's a fact. <laughs> and uh, I'd go to these bars, and I. I, I was taught young what diacetyl was, and I, I, I knew I had a, a, a decent threshold uh, because nuclears would have spike samples and, and whatnot, um, and testing your, your, your threshold in parts per uh, million and whatnot. But um, I used to go to these college bars, and their, their draft lines would just be riddled with diacetyl, just every single beer. And 
I always felt like I did a, a decent job of conveying to the bartender uh, Wait, that their lines were... <laughs> long story short, because there's multiple stories, but uh, Haley and I, well, I, I have been kicked out of so many college douchebag <laughs> bars in Madison because I would, I would just be like, your tap lines are, are gross and dirty, like, clean them, like, get, get a centrifugal pump and clean them properly. And you kiss your mouth with that mouth? <laughs> like, so bro, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. You need to get the hell out of here. You're trying to science us? Get out of here. <laughs> and, and, wait, well, and, and you're doing this while you're underage. Yeah, I was, I was underage. <laughs> <laughs> I think I he had an ID, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you carded me already. But then, but then, you know, it was, it was funny because it, it kind of evolved because I would go back to Nuglera's Brewing Company and I would, I would tell our, 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 uh, our sales uh, team lead um, at, at the time, uh, uh, Paul, and he would, he would literally, he would go to the establishments and Nuglera's would actually clean their tap lines and they would get specks of junk out of it. And it actually, I'm not sure if I, if I propagated this in Nuglera's or not, I'm not going to say I did. Um, <laughs> no, but Nuglera's ended up taking this huge initi- an initiative to actually serving uh, Nuglera's beer out of clean tap lines, so they would start doing this cleaning service, which I thought was a great idea because it, it's not regulated at all with cleaning tap lines, and it just this brings back to, to the reason I'm on this tangent because I went back to my draft cleaning course that I took in 2007 and found this list of all this equipment. <laughs> Because I was going to start my own tap cleaning business uh, in 2007. Is anyone surprised by that? By the way, that that was the company he wanted. To, he wanted to open at like 21 years old. It was a draft cleaning company. Yeah, he's an entrepreneur. He's like, yeah. <laughs> beers are super shitty right now. So yeah. <laughs> Maybe I can clean it up for you. A bit. <laughs> let let me do you a solid. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make your beers better. Yeah. Okay. Let me help you. Yeah. <laughs> so. I have that list, and I'm going through, and it, it's it's all through Micromatics, and I still have like the uh, uh, the part numbers, and I'm typing in the part numbers, and I have my whole list there with the total cost, and everything is triple the cost from 2007, which uh, I think is just crazy. Inflation, bro. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> or or or, which I think this is where you're going. Supply and demand, bro. It, it, people are becoming more aware of it yeah. now. Yeah, it's true. Right, uh, yeah. that, and that's kind of where I was going. Is there was a time when I, I would I would actually struggle to not have a logger that had diastole in it, right? And diastole. Di- <laughs> <laughs> you were yeah, supposed to skate right past that. He's not he's not a stickler for pronunciation. No, 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 he's not the word police. <laughs> I thought it was just German word police. Turns out it's just anything. Well, eventually we're going to get Alan up here just so we ah, can embarrass man. Luke. So badly I want to. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that would be Luke's dad, for those that don't know. I can't wait for that. Uh, no, but, but it, he's it, a it, has become, it has become more... Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, I, I would say, I, I would say it's, be, it's become more noticeable, and it's become a, a thing that I think people are more aware of uh, to try to... To make it less obvious. Well, I think another big part of that is I think the standard of where beer should be. You know, it's jumped like even since 2007, like yeah. you were saying. I mean, oh, it's big time. big time since then. I, I completely agree this, with you. So not only has the standard there, or you know, just general expectation of even 
your the stuff you drank, you know, that we were drinking in college before craft beer. So everybody has to, you know, had to step their game up. So whether it's, it's the rising beer tide or the races one. all boats, yeah, right? absolutely. So. I think a lot of that has to do with the consumer too. Like mm-hmm. we've talked about it before, where like we give consumers enough credit sometimes, not enough other times. I think they've gotten used to what a good beer is and what isn't, and what leads to a good beer and what doesn't. And uh, still being in a beer when it's not supposed to be is something they've kind of drawn a palette to, and. Because of that, it's stepped up a lot of breweries' games. That you can't skate by with an average lager anymore. No, no. And for the longest time, ales have, you know, and I, that's what I first started doing. I think a lot of people did, and I've just always been that. Not not because of the ease or it's less process or you know whatever. It's that's just when I thought of craft beer, everything was an ale. A lager right. was something else. The scene has changed so much since I've been in it. Uh, you. Is a craft brewer, if you're not doing a lager, you're behind the game. I, I agree mean, with you. And it's and you should be. There's no reason not to do that style. I mean, there's, you know, two styles. It's either ale or it's a lager. It's not, you know, I mean, it's... Can't you technically break down every beer into an ale or a lager? I would say there's four categories based on... This is, so this is when I... This is uh, in 2008 when I was taking my courses, but... Technically, it was based off yeast strain, so it's a Delbrucki yeast strain like uh, Britannomyces and some of the uh, funky uh, enzymatic uh, uh, properties of, of uh, 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 bice yeast strains. Um, so there's Delbrucki, there's Britannomyces, I'm sorry, Delbrucki, which is like the bice yeast strains that has the enzymatic potential to do other um, pathways. Uh, Britannomyces, uh, which is a beast of its own. Or Decora. Um well, or Carlsberg Guinness, which is a lager yeast strain, which is now, I think, classified as a different name now. Plant, uh, Pastrianus. Yeah, Pastrianus. Oh, really? I actually didn't know that. I it's didn't been, know that it was classified it was separately. Carlsberg Guinness to yeah. Uvarum to... Um, yeah, it's changed uh, hands. When you actually so. said that, I, I was shaking yeah, my head. I didn't know that it had been reclassified. Yeah, it was Carlsberg Guinness. I'm not sure why they changed it, the classification. I don't really know the history of that. But when I was doing my studies and courses, that was it. And then there are Saccharomyces uh, cerevisiae. So based off those four yeast strains is where you get... Everything branches off of those branches four. Branches off of those four is right. how I was taught. It's, it's, it's really, really interesting. And it's a rabbit hole we could go down that I would say there would be a very small segment of our listeners that would like to hear that, and the rest <laughs> would probably fast forward. Well, wasn't, it, wasn't it Carlsberg? And it's because Carlsberg technically found the lager strain yes. in 19-something, yeah. and then it probably went to Uverum, and then I think they went back to Pastrianus to give Lou Pasture the, 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 yeah. the clout for sure. uh, the founder of microbiology. Rich white people controlling the world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that we have a history lesson on on yeast, no, no, and it makes sense. I, like I said, I've just for generic purposes, ales yep. and lagers. Yep. I mean, but yeah. like he's saying, for yeah, I mean, if you start getting into some other stuff, but basically, I've lost my train of thought now. We were talking about uh, lagers. Yeah, I don't even. Know. And uh, speaking drunk, I don't know, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. well, I think your point, your your point, still kind of remains the same right is that that the the standard the standard has changed the standard has changed now and beer has to obviously change with it right and so your craft breweries getting by skating by with mediocre is not an option anymore and then like i said with this hellas to come up you know a pale lager they're they're hard to brew anyway and 
and you can't there's you cannot hide anything in a right. in a light beer in a lighter color. I think that's beer. my favorite thing though. I think my I think my favorite thing about them is it's uh it's it's a beer that when done well, anyone can enjoy and when done really poorly, nobody will. Yeah, and right? the thing is you in a in a beer like that if the smallest detail process wise or fermentation, you know, fermentation just doing something, it's going to come out. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's exciting to see something like this and not catch the flaws. You yep. know, and I, I, don't, I don't get any, uh, but, um, you know, maybe somebody can dig and try to find something. Who knows? You know, there's always somebody, you know, we were talking totally. about diastole for the longest time. Like, people that didn't know what they were talking about would always just say, oh, that, that beer's got that. Yeah, well, it's, 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 a stabi- the, it's the stability of the beer itself, too, is, you know, we're, we're – I mean, I don't want to give too much credit to us because I want us to keep us on our toes. But, I mean, our oxygen levels for, for as far as pickup during our process is, is honestly some of the, the best in the world. And I know that because I came from a brewery that, that was hitting some of the best oxygen pickups levels in the world. Um, so, and, again, we've talked about that in the past, yeah, not to cut you off. Yeah. We've talked about that in the past as well, but that, that provides – that can stem multiple off flavors when, when yeah. the beer that, that you're consuming is picking up oxygen unintended mm-hmm. during the process. Oh, yeah. and, it, and it's fun just to chime in real quick like with our new Cody line. Which, uh, props to Cody. I mean, we had a, a rep in from uh, a Malster, and he's like, what are you hitting your can lines? And I was like, dude, to be honest with you, we're hitting 12s. Um, we're hitting 12s to the highest is 20 now. And, you know, Jeff, our pack lead, was just like, yeah, we hit 40s. We're freaking out. And he's like... I mean, like a hundred's like really good, and you're hitting that low. And we're like, yeah, dude, like we're we're pretty anal about this kind of stuff. So like when our when we spike above ten, we all start getting a little giddy. Like, but that's just kind of the stuff that's been ingrained to us from a person who has come from a place that is been hitting the world's best deals. You know, and that and that does nothing but aid the product for everyone. It aids in shelf life. Mm-hmm. The consumers uh, can have a that's you right. know a, a product that's 120 days old and it's still tasting good. Like. You know, obviously that's that style driven, but I mean, if if we're able to to get an extra week out of the beer, even so, it, it's it's worth the effort on, on our part because our consumers are are you know they're they're paying their money for our product, so we should be doing the best that we can do uh, to to make the product that they're putting their hard earned money down to 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 actually uh, uh, sustain you know if it gets lost in the fridge or whatnot. Yeah, I think we had a we were having a conversation today with some of our sales team, and uh, it was one of the beers that uh, we were unsure of exactly when it was when it was dated because we had had this this span of time in which our inkjet uh, inkjetter wasn't working on our can line, and we weren't exactly sure of of when it was canned but we knew there was this cutoff point of a certain time of when our can line was installed and and we had the a, a rough idea of when the dates were and we tried the product and it's still tasting great and a lot of that is uh because of our 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 low oxygen pickups and uh truly it's a it's a testimony to our sales team uh and being able to get our product out there quickly that's one of the benefits of being a, a self-distro model like we are is we're able literally the same day that a beer is canned 
we can get it into accounts if if we're positioned to do so. And uh, I mean, that's that's truly just uh, just a, a benefit of being able to do that. I mean, I think it's a huge thing too. The amount of times I've seen on these beer on these beer um, you know websites and stuff like that, somebody you know going in and looking at the at the date, being like doesn't get fresher than that you know if, you, if we can hit the market exactly quickly like that i mean people love it i, I remember uh very early on in the process when rheingeist was still building up and in, in 2013 i remember they used to market that right because they were self-distribution oh. and so i remember there used to be accounts i, I think i remember o'brien's posting a, a twitter uh a, a tweet or uh instagram or something and they, they took a photo of the can and it yep. was the same day, and it was like, doesn't get more fresh than this. Yeah, I think I saw the same. And it was, it was truth that had hit the same day that it was canned, and that's, um, that's a pretty cool thing that we have the ability to do. But that said, it all goes back to even, even without that, um, because of our, our standards and our SOPs and some of the things we're doing, even at 60, 90, maybe even 120 days, depending on the style of beer, it's still tasting as though it's incredible fresh yeah it tastes in the way it was intended to taste uh so so what else you know from the production team um is there anything else that you guys would want people to know about this beer in particular um before we get into the name here i would say just that it's 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 true to style in terms of its uh uh history it uh it lagered for, I think, 40 days, something like that. Uh, had a true lager on it. Um, that's being held at, you know, less than 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, I'm proud of you. you. You talked in Fahrenheit. I did. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Like all, all floor malted grain. Like. Yeah, it's 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 hundred percent, hundred percent German ingredients, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's all environment uh, uh, from Bamberg. Look like uh, Bamberg. Well, that's one Bamberg. of the things that I love is if we're going to do a style, we're going to do it true to style, and mm-hmm. you know, this one is is you know. Uh, exactly an example of that, you know, like when Chase is talking about it, 100% floor malts, 100%, you know, Hallertau, 100%, mm-hmm. you know, exactly where it's supposed to be from. And then obviously our water is going to be exceptional because, you know, we take the time to do that. So, um, you know, there's nothing going to be truer to style than, you know, the beers we're producing, which right. I'm very proud of. Yeah, I think the, the lager fermentation as well, it's uh, um, the way we can manipulate, uh, not as manipulate but just use uh thermal energy btus that's produced that's being naturally produced from fermentation and aiding with that into diacetyl reduction is this kind of uh kind of what i get geeked out about well and the thing that it's cool to me about this whole beer um when you're talking about craft beer i mean the last thing on your mind is how how are we going to make a hella slaughter sound cool Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, That's so true. Really? But, yeah. like, we're all sitting up here, like, super geeking out and excited yeah. about it. So and not true. just because, you know, we obviously we work in the industry, but it's it's not like you're like, oh, that hell is slug. You know, I mean, you're talking about whatever this crazy, weird thing that's happened. Yeah, you're not or, getting lines on Black Friday for a hell of slug. For a hell of slugger. Right? But for us to hit the mark like we did on this, to me, is exciting. Like, it, it's just... 
it takes us it, it, it it's a whole different level at that point and you know we talked about you know oxygen pickup especially on a light logger if it sits for 60 days and there's just a hair over you know too much oxygen it's you're going to notice and yeah. the way that we do everything which is crazy it was a big learning curve for me but uh you know i'm just not used to it but just the, our process here to make you know a beer like this hellas this good stable shelf stable and to be excited about it i think is it says a lot i i think that's really well said ben i i think um i think it's something that gets glossed over honestly um it's really easy to get caught up in the geeky styles and the geeky beers and the sours or I'm going to hop this till your face falls off beer or just add a crap load of fruit in this. And don't get me wrong. We do all of that as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I mean. Like, it's just, it's not out of the norm. Like this is the norm. I mean, a Hellas lager is like, that was originally the norm. That's right. And then at some point, you know, over the years, which is good, it puts everybody, you know, makes everybody, you know, stay on their toes. You've got to come up with new and exciting things. And that, and that is exciting. I mean, it is fun and it makes our job fun. But it's also fun to be able to come up with and rewarding just an old classic style of a pale German lager that is just immaculate. I, I mean, love it. Yeah, that's what we've talked about before, too. It's just... It's so much of a harder style to, to brew because you're not masking it behind any kind of adjuncts, the hops. Like, it's just, just, there's nothing there except for, you know, the four main ingredients. And that, that, that to me is where it kind of separates, you know, the boys to the men, to be honest with you. Like, because when I go to a brewery, Great the first thing, the boys to men. Yeah, it was boys Great to band. Men. Yeah. This was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but when I go to a brewery, the the first beer that I'm going to try is if they have it a, a light sessionable oh, lager. You, you can tell or a lot. Kolsch. Exactly, because if they can make a light lager, a Kolsch style beer that's drinkable and no defects into it, all right, I'm game. Go through the gamut of uh, tasting all the other beers that they have and see well, what they have to offer. It's so easy, like he was just saying, and we talked, we touched on it before. You know, you can hide in a stout or a porter or something, yeah. you can hide a lot of defects and nobody's ever going to know the difference except for the person that's made it. I mean, even other brewers might, you know, it'd be hard to tell, but, uh, on this, I mean, it's, you've opened the curtains on everything right. on all of our, you know, and it's a risk to take yeah. because it can make or break yeah, and our, an our, image. Our, our first beer that was really a, a true testament to this style and to the process wise was the quacky. The American right. adjunct lager, um, so and that was that was high gravity brewed. That was a duration water addition. Like that was completely, completely like just you know basically process driven in terms of either you know what you're doing or you don't. And we even mobile canned that, which was a huge scare fear of mine. relax we're done with that we're done with that i see your skin yeah. crawling as we speak yeah and you know and unfortunately we weren't able to hit you know our our do levels that we are now able to with our own cam line with having that control um unfortunately and fortunately because it, it did sell um i don't think there's any lingering in in in, in sales anymore Ho- hopefully not because yeah we did not have good dissolved oxygen numbers while we were canning it because we didn't have that that process because we didn't have our own cam line at that point. Um, but yeah, I think 
I think just, you know, kind of adding what Ben was saying was just being able to do that beer, I think, means a lot to us as a organization and to our brewers. I, I completely agree. Uh, it's, and we've hammered it home. We've talked about it a lot. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I completely relate to what you said, Ben. In a lot of ways, um, I feel like we've, we've, uh, we've talked about all of the ways we can make this as sexy as it can, right? But at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a grassroots, old-school, true-to-style beer. Yeah. Uh, Hellas is in that German for pale? Is that is it yeah, really? I didn't I know, know that. Positive, German right? what? Isn't that German? Isn't that the? I I, I feel like I should know that. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. What's that? Is he said uh, Hellas? He thinks is German for pale. Isn't that no, it's bright. Bright. Oh, bright. Okay. Yeah. Bright. So it's, so it should be oh, a clear yeah. uh, filtered yeah. beer. Hellas means pale and calm. Yeah. 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 I think Hellas directly means bright. Oh, it because be. it's derived from Hellas, Hell, bright. Okay. It's oh, all connected. Sure. But whether yeah, like whether said, it's, no whether it's pale it, or bright yeah. or whatever it is, it's but um, it's not the sexiest thing. That's right. You know, that's and it's right. it's hard yeah. to really get you know super stoked and excited and like you said, wait in line. Like it, <laughs> unless a, you're the guy that's yeah. that just man after a long day, like I could just. But I, I mean, it's literally like this, it's right? to me just reminds like it's a working man's beer or an everyday kind of person's. It's just yeah. and done right, you they don't get any better. They're drinkable. That's right. They're balanced and. They can be exceptional, and I think in this case, you know, we've hit that. Yep, I agree. So let's wrap up by talking about the name a little bit. I've gotten a lot of questions about this since we released it. Um, everybody wonders, uh, what the hell does this mean? It's Operation Steam. It's kind of weird, whatever. Um, it's pretty quick and simple, but it's pretty funny as well. Um, as we've ramped up here in the last few months, we've, um, we've had to talk through uh, growth patterns and, and how do we – how do we map marketing with production and also be able to tie in everything else we're doing? And so we created a team, uh, uh, an operations team. And basically what that looks like is we had one or two leaders from each part of our organization that would meet um, once a month, the first of every month, and we would, we would basically do our best. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a certainty, but we would do our best to lock down the next uh, 60 to 90 days of production and also marketing and sales and, and try to tie all of that together. And so uh, we would meet each, each month and, and after the first, after the first meeting, so it's all a great idea in theory. And so after the first meeting, we all sit down and we would talk about, Hey, here's our vision for what this meeting looks like. And it was really easy, right? Um, this is our operations team. This is uh, uh, our, again, I'll say that this is our operations team team. And uh, we would sit down, and then, and then uh, each department head would filter that down to, to their respective teams. And so we met the first time, and uh, we started a uh, Slack is, a, is a, um, a mode of communication in which we use in our organization. It's similar to any kind of group chatting message, but it works well for our organization because we're able to include, you know, different channels within Slack that is our taproom team and our sales team and our marketing team and production team and operations team. And so we created one that was operations team. And the challenge with that is you're not, you don't really put punctuation when you create your channels within Slack. And so it was operations team, one word with a hashtag in front of it, because that's how you delineate your channels. 
and I invited everyone to that channel that was a part of the operations team. Well, my fearless partner and uh, one of my best friends in the world, Chase Legler, not to call you out or anything, but sitting right here at the table, uh, he gets an invite to the operations team channel. And the first thing he posts within this channel is, what is operations steam? <laughs> it sounds hot. First message. On the, <laughs> the whole first thing. message in the whole channel is what is Operation Steam? It sounds hot. Ooh, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a few months ago. And I, I mean, legitimately, since we've opened, that's one of the hardest moments I've laughed <laughs> in the entire in the entire uh, organization. And I think my response was just the crying face emoji. And I said, if we don't name a beer that, we're doing it wrong. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it just fit. And obviously, being a logger, it had to be a logger because it directly related to you. So yeah. there we are, Operation Steam. Well, I, I, I read more about Steam than Team. So I, <laughs> and like, seriously, when I read it, I, I, I read it as Operation Steam. Oh, I know. I, oh, okay. I'm aware. I'm aware that you read it that way, which is why it made it so much funnier to me. I was like, are we all getting into this boiler here? That's, that's all learning. I'm, I'm, I'm with Chase on this one. I, uh, I didn't know the backstory of it till now, and I honestly, 100%. You would have read it as I Operation read it Steam? the same exact way. <laughs> because our minds think production the entire time. And Steam, I'm like, is there a problem with Steam Jacket? Are we, yeah. are we talking about a new boiler? Or what's, uh, right. yeah, I would have thought the exact same way. Well, it it, uh, it ended up being a fantastic story, and uh, this is, I think it's fair to say it's early. It's it's really early, but I think it's fair to say this is a beer that will that will stick around and, and will make a recurring appearance. Our goal is to always have a light logger on that accompanies Voss as our as our runner that's available every day. People Even just drink it, it too fast sometimes. That's true. Even if it is. takes us buying another tank, we're gonna we're gonna have a log around. That's uh, I like I like the sound of that. <laughs> you betcha. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I I love this beer. I love what you guys have done with this. I love everything you guys do. But um, all of your logger, I mean, all your, your crispy boy, your crispy boys game is on fire. Oh, we got we got a good crew. So so yeah. Um, from and that's that's what I I wanted to really impress. Uh, it doesn't matter who wrote the recipe; it's a team effort to get it to to package, and uh, and that's a true statement. And it's something that that is uh, it, it would be doing a disservice and an injustice to to the entire production team if if everyone wasn't accurately and and uh, appropriately shined throughout this process. So yeah, that actually reminds me of a of a of a situation or a story uh, that just just ranked in my head when you said that actually is I remember I was I was probably 22 years old and and Dan Carey was telling me like you know he was he was thanking me for all I did and stuff at the brewery and I was kind of questioning about the recipes because I, I you know I want to get into the recipe you know more of the recipe written side of it and he he he, he said this was his excuse. He was. This was his, his, him saying no, but with a reason, and the reason is actually true. Um, but he said, "Well, honestly, writing recipes is the easiest thing about making beer, and the rest of it that goes on afterwards is the hardest part. Because after you write a recipe, once the wort's produced, all you can do at that point 
from there beyond is fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is totally true, actually. And uh, that just kind of reminded me of that, of that story. I, I think I remember you telling me. Yeah, I probably did. A while yeah. ago. I mean, you've told me that story, but I remember you saying to me pretty early on, yeah. I feel pretty confident in being able to train anyone to make work. Uh, but making beer once it hits the tanks yeah. is, the, is the hardest part. And yeah. uh, I, I think that's, that's never more true than it is with a beer like this. That's, that's why so I've delicate. always had a, a more of a, a, of, a, of a infatuation with cold side, wart side, you know, or I'm sorry, cold side, packaging side, because that's where the true attention to detail really comes in. Well, I, I think I, I would say for me, Coming from a novice home brewer, five gallons to ten gallons at a time, the most, most I ever made of one batch was 20 gallons, right? So for somebody like me, and I never, obviously, 20 gallons, like I was just throwing it into a keg. Yeah. And uh, when I ever did 20 gallons, it was for a party that was consumed within two nights, right? So yeah. for me, I think the, the coolest part f- going from that side to where we're at today is to realize the importance of every step of the process. So, and what I what do I mean by that is, you talk, you, you start hot side and you start brew house, right? If you mess up your mash, in any way, you can get DMS, right? You can get you can get issues yeah, you w- get, in that way. Yeah, you um, mash in too high, you're dumping that. Right that's away. right. Yeah. That's right. You can go to the cellar and you can have diastole issues or whatever issues you want to talk about. Acetaldehyde or whatever. And then you go into packaging, and then if you, don't, if you mess that up, you can have yeah. dissolved oxygen issues, right? So that's why I, I just – every time we sit around this table and we have a podcast, it's incredibly important for me to make sure that everyone knows, like, yeah, hey, uh, you know, and I'm incredibly thankful for the recipe. The recipe's awesome. I'm incredibly thankful to everyone that was a part of this yeah. more than anything because all the way from the day you mill the grains to the day we pop that can <laughs> – if you, don't, if you don't pay incredible attention to detail and you don't do this the way that our number one pillar is, right? Our number one pillar is quality. If you don't pay quality attention to this all the way to the end, yeah. you're just a, a brewery that had a great recipe that couldn't execute it. Yeah, and said differently about cold, you know, cold side versus hot side, hot side being the brewer house. Said differently, it's, it's with our situation in most breweries, it's easier to control wort production than it is to control the nuances in the cold side. Nuances in the cold side meaning that if a brewer decides to not pre-purge a connection that's going to add oxygen to the beer which is mm-hmm. going to you know, deteriorate the shelf life. It's, it's more of a controlled process than, than a not controlled process essentially. Yeah and, and, and ultimately what it boils down to it's a testimony to, to all of you to your production team and, and the, the level of detail that we have and, and yeah. And I'm excited. I'm excited as we continue to move forward to always have a logger on, but always to continue to produce high quality yeah. beers. Produce. Well, it comes down. I've talked about it before. You know, just the standards of standards and practices that we have in place. You know, set us up for success. And as a team, you know, um, we all have. You know, like we've talked about, we all have different strengths and whatnot, but. Um, you know, the standards and practices that we have to live up to, you know, make it so we can get good beer. And we're always looking to kind of press that oxygen levels. You know, that, that's a huge focus for us right now. Now that we have our, have our meter in house, our DO meter uh, that we use obviously daily. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I, I love, there was a day that I came in and you guys had already started canning by the time I walked in and I was walking up the stairs and Jeff, <laughs> Jeff you fist bumped me. You go, 
Dude, Dio levels are on point today. <laughs> we pulled a 12 the other day, dog. <laughs> I loved I think it was the Duck Donuts beer when you said that. It was awesome. I just I love that because yeah. that's the that's the culture from the top. That that embodies who we are and one of our, our, our key pillars that we've talked about. The little so. subtle things we get excited for. Totally. And, and then the Cody can line. I mean, it, it's so awesome. And being able to, to really be able to dial that thing in. Um, I mean, because the product that we're putting out, Operation Steam, compared to you know some of these other loggers that we're doing. I'm sorry. Know. Did you say Operations Team? I did. Yeah, that's uh, what I thought. Mm-hmm. You said operations team, right? Like there was an S and T in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, uh, thank you for everything you do. And um, Chaz, love you. Uh, cheers, guys. Thank cheers. you for uh, cheers. For just always doing what you do.